Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to The Midpoint with me, Gabby Logan. We really are in the presence of a global superstar today. My guest has won two Grammys, 12 Billboard Music Awards and is a multi-platinum selling artist. Back in the year 2000, the song Can't Fight the Moonlight announced Leanne Rhymes to the world beyond America. It went to number one in eight countries, including the UK. Leanne was only 17 at the time, but unlike many child stars, she stood the test of time. Leanne's released 17 albums to date and is committed to making the world a better place through her music and her wellness podcast, Holy Human. She's also gearing up for a very special show in London in May 2024, which will mark the end of her The Story So Far global tour. We're also going to be joined by Javino McLean, a PT and founder of J7 Health Centre, who's doing things a little differently at his gym and changing people's lives in the process. More on that later, but first, let's meet Leanne. Leanne Rhymes, thank you so much for coming on The Midpoint. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, you're a little bit early in The Midpoint range. Yeah, uh, I mean, but I'm, I'm there-ish. <laughs> well, technically, we always say it's uh, 38. That's according to the Economic okay. and Social Research Council. Right. But actually, your career has been so long and <laughs> I'm past that midpoint oh my god <laughs> you started so young and yeah. 11 when you were really being kind of touted around as, as an amazing voice that was going to be commercially huge yeah I was 11 when I signed my record deal so I'm 41 now so yeah 30 years which if you think about it most people if they start their career at say 22 yeah they would be in their 50s so yeah you are well yeah I'm in. well into it <laughs> for sure and you've been through very many different kind of phases in that as well which mm. we want to talk about because it kind of occurred to me while I was looking at your life in the build-up to talking to you, that you have done something that a lot of child stars don't always manage. and Survived? That, yeah. <laughs> you've navigated it with a few bumps, yeah. but, but you've navigated it well. Yeah. I mean, I think when people ask me what's, you know, my greatest accomplishment, I think just being where I'm at in this moment in time and thriving and liking who I am and forgiving myself for all the the pitfalls, as you say. I mean, it's, it's happened for sure. I mean, we all, mine were just public. We all go through them, you know, we're all human beings. So I think just being where I'm at, you know, what I've overcome and mm. gotten through, I kind of look back and I'll sometimes go, wow, I can't believe I'm alive, but I am. <laughs> in the best of ways. Alive and thriving. Yes. And would you say as healthy as you've ever been mentally oh, yeah. and physically and spiritually. Yeah, absolutely. I feel, you know, I mean, growing up in the, in the public eye, like so much of you can become so fragmented. And I, I think that's just also as human beings, like I think we, we do fragment ourselves in so many ways. There's so many pieces of ourselves that we reject. And at 41, I feel like for the most part, there's so much self-acceptance and appreciation and especially for so many versions of my younger selves, mm. you know, like um, I feel such a great appreciation for my resilience. And yeah, I do. I feel like uh, I'm at a really good 
really good place. When you go back to thinking about that 14-year-old girl, your voice was so mature and you were capable of singing these songs that, you know, women in their 40s and 50s would have been synonymous with. Do you think there was this perception of, because you didn't also, you didn't look ever kind of like a really little girl. You, know, mm-hmm. you, were, you were never marketed in that way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So do you think there was around you, people sometimes forgot almost that you hadn't lived? Yeah. Um, I was really capable of kind of emotionally pulling from somewhere otherworldly uh, to express these emotions that I clearly hadn't experienced. But once I started to live life, I mean, those songs became even deeper. And for me, Looking back, I when I hear those recordings, I mean, I, I notice how young I am, but people, I mean, people really thought that was I was an adult, and I was I I did grow up very fast. I was an only child. I was always around adults in a very adult world, so I had a maturity about me that was probably not healthy. <laughs> but but I was I was I was very much an adult, and you're right. I was never. I kind of looked a lot older than I was. I feel well, you like kind of I feel like I've gone age backwards. I was <laughs> yeah. gonna say I feel like I'm Benjamin, Benjamin buttoned it, uh, where I, I feel younger. I look younger now than I did, you know, when I was. This when is I was true. 14. This yeah. is true. You, you've, you've, you're one of those people that kind of has grown into into the, the, myself. The, yeah, yeah, into yourself, and, <laughs> and you look so much older than the 14 year old who was belting yeah. out those songs. Yeah. and even just you know the the clothes mm. and the hair and everything else and the makeup. It it just was it was wasn't childlike at all. Yeah, and they weren't playing on that. Whoever was kind of building the image, they weren't playing yeah. on you being a child. But then you got married the first time, very young, didn't you? As yeah, well. I was nineteen. Did you feel at nineteen? <laughs> did you feel like, yeah, I'm ready for this? Yeah, this is- <laughs> I did. I felt like nineteen was old. Like, I mean, I really did feel like I was so much more mature than I was at nineteen. What did you want? Did you want the kind of whole happy family, two point four kids? Did you feel like that was something that you needed at that point? Um, no. I felt like, I think marriage was something that I wanted. I wanted to have that, you know, relationship. I, my parents got divorced when I was 14 and I pretty much lived on my own from the time I was 16 in LA, which is crazy to think about. Um, I was living with a boyfriend at the time. Like if that was my daughter, I mean, my parents had just lost their minds. Um, but, <laughs> They'd just gone through a tricky divorce. Yeah, they had. They'd gone through a divorce and of course did not want me doing what I was doing. But yeah, I at 19, I think I just, I think I wanted safety. I think I was looking for safety and it's something I didn't feel like I had had in really my whole childhood. My parents didn't have a great relationship. There was a lot of fighting in the house. So I never really felt like I had that kind of safe space and safe relationship. So I think that's what I was really looking for. I have two stepsons, never kids of my own, and that for my second marriage. Mm. And um, I, I don't, I don't know if I've truly ever wanted kids of my own. I've, I've, I love kids, and I love being around them. I also love giving them back. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I've had. I think I've had so much kind of trauma in my life that I didn't want to pass that down. Now at 41, like if I went to have a kid, I totally, I would be absolutely ready for that. I've healed a lot of things, but for many, many years, mm. I'm just like, mm, no, I, my, my stepson's like totally filled. And as you say, they space. came with the second marriage. So yeah. Back to the, the, the young marriage, yeah. the first marriage. If it wasn't about that and it was, it was about security mm-hmm. and about safety, did you achieve that? Do you think? I think for a while. Yeah, Absolutely. He was a good guy and we were best of friends, more friends than anything. And I think that kind of safety, I think that was absolutely a safe space for me. And he worked with you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a dancer. So that's how we met. And um, then he was on the road with me, you know, from the time we were, he was 21, I was 19. So we were babies. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you look back, 
kind of now and even into your late 20s, early 30s, at, you talk about your parents kind of, you know, letting you almost live at this life at 16. Yeah. And we all do things, you know, certainly I'm guilty of that at 16, 17, where you think you know better yeah. than your parents. And some of the things my kids say to me, I can't believe Nana let you do that at that age. <laughs> um, and I kind of think, oh, I'm not sure she had a choice. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. I mean, I, that's, I said that to my husband the other day. I forgot what it was about, but I, he's like, they didn't have a choice. <laughs> and I was talking about him being like 16 or 17 with his parents. And that, I mean, look, I was, I was making my own money. I had my own life, like my own job. I mean, which is crazy to say from 13. So, you know, by the time I was 16, I was, you know, I was making all the money for my family and it was just, I wasn't. It distorts the, the kind of relationship though, doesn't it? In yeah. the natural order of things. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, look, you add in that type of success with, you know, my parents having a really volatile relationship and then a divorce and my my dad had an affair and that that's kind of what split up my parents at the time. They'd been married for 27 years. I mean, it was just wasn't, it wasn't a happy place. I remember mm. when they told me they were, my dad told me they were getting a divorce and I said, thank God. Um, I was <laughs> very happy about that. They just, yeah, they just did not. They were great people separately. They just, I look at them now and I'm like, I have no idea how you guys were together. Um, but... I think you just add all of that into one big melting pot and it just becomes a recipe for disaster. Mm. And then, you know, you have my parents, my dad was managing me and that's such a weird line because your child is now your business and, mm. you know, you're trying to protect your child, but you can't really protect your child because you have to protect the business. So it, it's just, like I said, recipe for disaster. Did you repair that relationship easily with him? Because it, it, it wasn't easy. No. Absolutely not. But yeah, I mean, he texted me just the other day, like, well, I'm here. So we do have a relationship. I mean, I have a relationship with both of my parents. So it's not like we don't have some sort of relationship. It's not maybe the relationship I would have hoped for, mm. but it, I love them. And they did the best they could at that moment in time. I truly believe that. And once again, we all go back, we make mistakes. Mm. And um, there were some big ones made, but I think I think we've we've all come to a di completely different place. I mean, that feels like like two lifetimes ago. And you went uh, into therapy or rehab mm -hmm. for anxiety. Was that related to the kind of childhood? It was related traumas? to so many things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just at, at thirty, I checked myself into um, a rehab facility for like severe anxiety and depression, and that was just 30 years of unprocessed life. Mm. I had never spent a, a night alone, basically. I mean, if there was always someone around me, if it was my parents, if it wasn't a manager or agent or publicist, it was my husband at the time. So it was always someone. And um, at 30, I was like, I just I have to break out of this code <laughs> codependent <laughs> relationships, all these codependent relationships. So, and I really needed, I really needed help. I think it was just, like I said. And you never had any kind of therapy before? No, I mean... I guess before, no, had I? Yeah, I started therapy maybe a couple of years before that, but I really needed just like several weeks to like separate from everyone. Yeah. Best thing you ever did? Um, it was, yeah, it was the beginning. I wouldn't say that that was like the end all at all, but it was the start of processing so much, a lot of grief, a lot of childhood that had been unlived, like just there's so many layers to that. Mm. And then I went through um, at 28, mm. yeah, 28, I went through a public affair with my husband. And so processing all of that and then like being drugged through the media, which was absolute madness. Mm. Um, so there was just a lot there. Um, and I think that was just the beginning for me of, you know, uh, this 
journey of self-exploration. We, I just wanted, there's a few things to unpick there. Yeah. The grief yeah. Um, is interesting because I think you can, you know, I can just imagine you thinking back to your childhood mm-hmm. that actually didn't really happen, yeah. you know, and worrying about that little girl and where she you know, yeah. got to. And uh, that that's really emotional. Yeah, I mean, there's the grief of like losing a family, um, a family unit, even though I said, you know, thank God when my parents got a divorce, like that still was mm. a hugely impactful on, on me. And, um, you know, then going through a massive lawsuit with my parents and my record label, all, all at 16. <laughs> um, and How then, are you here? <laughs> I know, I don't know, um, but I am. And then, you know, going through, like just, it, there was just so much, so many things to mm. grieve. Like, and my stepsons, like I said, were, were two and six when they were first in my life. And I don't think they were such triggers for me, which in the most, in the best of ways, um, because I didn't realize how much bitterness I had toward not having a childhood. I thought, oh, this is normal and totally fine. But then when I got to see them with this incredibly loving dad, Mm. like always there for them and letting them just make mistakes and play. And I was like, wait, this is so different from my childhood. I didn't get that. And so I think for the first like three years of being around them, I didn't have bitterness toward them. It was just that I... I got, I started to see like how a real childhood was, like a normal childhood. And it was, I saw how much grief was there that I didn't recognize. Mm. And so to be able to help be a part of giving that to them has been just such a healing, it's just a whole healing experience for me. I just wonder if there's ever a right way to bring a child prodigy into the world. Yeah, because no, I don't, <laughs> no one gives you that handbook, no. like at all. Because um, on the one hand, as a parent, mm-hmm. if you have this child that has a talent that can explode mm-hmm. onto a, an international stage at that age, on the one hand, the child's loving it, they're loving singing, mm-hmm. right? They want to be out there. And then the other hand, you want to protect their childhood. It's a it's a really, you know, for your par- from a parental point of view, you kind of understand that's almost an impossible task, isn't it? Yeah, it is an impossible task. And we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. I think we all kind of saw a an opportunity a also. Yeah, a way out. A way out of, you know, my mom doing these crazy odd jobs and my dad working for the same company and mm. making the same amount of money for 25 years, you know, so... Yeah, I think we all saw a way out. That was also, I imagine, something you had to work through, the fact that you were kind of the ticket. Oh, absolutely, mm. absolutely. But it was also, it was also, I think, my way out. I think, you know, that's why I, how I ended up on my own at 16. It was like, I don't, you know, this is a miserable, a very unhappy place to be. You can sing your way out yeah, of Yeah, I situation. can sing my way out of it. It's exactly what it was, yeah. And you also, when we were talking about, you know, that period, you mentioned your public Mm-hmm. relationship with your now husband mm-hmm. that he was previously married and all of that which is something else I imagine yeah. that was mired in the kind of the guilt of your parents splitting you know the, mm-hmm. that would be a natural place to feel guilty <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely and I was oh my god I could see how I was recreating so many things in that experience and um yeah there was a lot of a lot of healing that had to happen there for me and not something that you ever like intentionally expect yourself to do mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. There's always and, judgment as well. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Especially as a woman. Mm. I mean, it's never his fault. <laughs> it's always your fault. You temptress. Um, so, you know, it was, there was so much, and especially me being kind of like America's sweetheart, mm. people just like had a feel. Well, they put day. you on a pedestal. They do. And then they, they take every, like all of their hurt and throw it right back on you. 
And, you know, once I could start to see that and once I could start to see that that it wasn't me necessarily, that there was there was so many women out there that were that were hurting from their own experiences mm-hmm. and just talk about grief, like not wanting to deal with it. So, like, let's throw all, all of our anger on this one person that we can we can kind of crucify for it. Mm-hmm. Like that was once I started to be able to unravel that I was able to kind of separate. I think at one point I thought, oh, my God, am I? this horrible human being that people say I am. Keep in mind, like, I've been told who I am my whole life and not really, I didn't know who I was. So as I started to, through self, you know, lots of self-discovery, figure out who I was, I got to start to separate those things and be like, okay, this is not, this is not me. Mm -hmm. These are some actions that have been taken. And you know, I can see my mistakes and where I went wrong, but this is not who I am. And everybody else's pain that is being projected is not who I am. So there's a, it was a big lesson in like sifting through and separating out like who I am as a human being from persona and what people think, who people think you are and what they make you out to be. So who did Eddie meet then at the very beginning of this? Because oh, that's you- a really good question. <laughs> um <laughs> Because huh. I imagine in the first few years of that relationship, you changed quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I think he met a very hurt human being. Ugh, you're going to make me cry. Um, I think he did. I think he met, he met someone who was very complex, someone who had been through so much, you know, in her life and had a lot of baggage. <laughs> um, but also, you know, really found this connection with this human being that, um, yeah, I jumped right in, Mm. you know, we both did. So who I've grown into, like who we both grown into, I mean, you know, it's the best thing when two people can make each other better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who we've grown into together has been incredible. Like, I mean, just, I can see how much he's opened as a human being, all of, he has so much empathy and this just beautiful big heart. And it's really come out to play like even more and he's given me talk about a safe space like he's Mm. given me such a safe space to really just fall apart in a lot of ways and put myself back together Mm. always with his support and never like he he wasn't the reason for it Mm. he was just always there to to lift me up through anything so Mm. he's he's seen it all (laughs) he's seen it all he's a good guy does that mean that you don't have regret now that you've been able to release any regret yeah I don't I don't like regret Mm. I I can't change it you know what I mean like Mm. I I can't go back and change anything and Mm. so why dwell on it I mean it definitely comes up and I think there's there's definitely moments that I have where I cringe, where I think about a memory and I'm like, oh, that wasn't so cute um, for anybody. But like, I can't I can't change that. I can only choose differently now. And so I try I try to look at my life as like, what am I surrounding myself with? Who am I surrounding myself with? Who am I being? Who? What am I believing? Are the things in my life moving me toward a more loving human being? And that's just kind of how I guide my life. And I... I think forgiveness is for me, like forgiving past versions of me is a process. And I think I have. And then there's moments when, like I say, I think about those moments that I think I've forgiven and absolutely cringe. And then I'm like, oh, there's some still some healing there to do. Mm. And um, I think you have to be patient with that. It's not like you can just 
bring it up and be like, oh, I, I want to heal that today. And I want to, I want to forgive that. Mm. For me, it's just, it takes some time. So mm. I have to be, have to be gentle with those pieces. And then you had to, as you've discussed with, you know, just before, you had these small children yeah. that you started to work out how to be a stepmom to them and mm. how to blend the families. Because eventually his ex-wife, Brandy, and you seem to have, or from the outside, it seems to be okay now. It's a, yeah, good, it's, it's a good blended it's, family. <laughs> it's, it's pretty chill, <laughs> um, for sure. Uh, we've come, gotten to a really good place. Um, you know, and as the kids get older they have their own relationships with both parties involved yeah. and they flow back and forth very easily between our houses. We we try to do holidays together when we can. and So the, um, so she would join in with your Yeah, so she does. So we still we still can get on each other's nerves just like anybody can. Yeah. So she and Eddie will have at it and I'm like, have at it. Like, <laughs> I have nothing to do with this. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> like, I've just learned to stay out of stuff. And because just, a lot of people listen to this podcast um, because they're in that period of life where they may have, uh, have a blended family that's recent. Yes. Or they may be going through, you know, a situation similar to that. You know, they will they will really recognize yeah. these stages of evolution. That yeah, absolutely. I think when I started to heal myself and focus on myself and really like all my little insecurities that I had about whatever, myself, the relationship, the blended family, how I, you know, I think the first several years I felt such so much like an outcast in my own family. Is this my family? How do I, how do I enter this family? What's my role? Like all those things. Once I just became a little more like sure-footed within myself and in our relationship and within the kind of family dynamic, like I said, now I'm like, okay, y'all have at it. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to be involved. Um, and I'm there for support and um, sometimes a mediator and that's okay. Like, but the kids, the kids are great. And I think as long as we've kept it about them, mm. like ultimately that's what it's about. Do you about. Uh, get asked for advice from Eddie in terms of, you know, parenting decisions? Does he value your, your kind Yeah, of he does. Mm. I let him do his thing with the kids. You know, they have like the hard conversations about school, like somebody spelling Spanish, like we'll have those conversations and then he'll kind of bounce things off me. And um, I'm always kind of his little other, the other voice in the background. But um, yeah, he's great. He's such a good dad. Like, I mean, my my friends are, some of my friends he didn't have dads in their lives and we're all like, look at him as a dad. We're yeah. like, can we just not all have dads like you? It's very attractive, isn't it? It's so hot. Because, I mean, he's he's a very good-looking <laughs> yes, guy anyway. but it's just but so it, amazing. It adds to, I mean, you know, I love watching my husband be a dad because yeah. he's just an amazing father. Yeah. And, and it is so, because um, I had a slightly different experience with my father mm. in terms of um, our relationship and, and seeing how he is and how involved he is with the things they do, but in a really lovely kind of positive way mm -hmm. is is very attractive. It is attractive. And it's so healing for me too, to like, to have that kind of, to see a man like that, mm. you know, to know that that exists. Mm. My dad, don't get me wrong. My dad was, my dad was a really solid dad. He was always there. He was helping me. He helped me rehearse all the time. He coached my baseball team. Like he was always there. We just, when he and my mom split, went through a really rough patch mm. but um but he was he was a good dad as a kid yeah um and now you're at this really lovely stage where they're getting ready to go off and do things yeah. in their own lives and it creates a bit more space for you and eddie yeah. in your relationship doesn't it and and this all i'm in the back of my mind thinking all of this emotion and all these different things this has, has got to come out in your music it's yeah it's got to come out somewhere <laughs> yeah it does and it does come out of my music um you know i've these last three records of mine, starting with an album called Spitfire, which was 
really about a lot of heartbreak. And I wrote a song called Borrowed, which is um, about my affair. And it's such a polarizing song. Some people are like, I can't listen to that. I'm like, why? Because you you can't handle the truth. Like people just don't sometimes don't want to handle the truth when it can be that dark and but I actually did ended up doing that as a duet with Stevie Nicks on um, a re, we reimagined that as a as a duet. And she um, she said she saw me sing it on some TV show in America, and she just turned around and like fell to the ground and started crying. She was like, "I've never heard something so honest and that I understood." And which is like the biggest compliment of life. But I remember writing that song, and. It was from such an honest place that I knew I could never go back from writing from anywhere but that place. And so that kind of opened me up as a songwriter to this whole new level of depth in my writing voice that I didn't know existed. So there were many gifts, obviously, that came out of a really traumatic time, that being one of them. How do you write? Well, how does the process Um, I usually, well, life, everything inspires me. Can you write anywhere, anytime? Yeah. Um, I like to, co- I collect ideas and write like anywhere, anytime. Um, but then I'll, I'll kind of keep my notes on my phone and I'll start to see a pattern of things of like a story wanting to be told. And then I'll usually put it on a whiteboard, all these titles. And then I'll kind of see like, what's the story? What's the, what's the through line? And, um, I'll usually we'll schedule time to sit down and write. Mm. So, and in terms of the instrument that you're singing mm-hmm. to, is it is, it's often a guitar? Uh, mostly piano. A piano. Yeah, right, okay. my creative partner Daryl Brown. Yeah, he we write he'll so much play, together. And he'll, he'll play and yeah, and then music comes. The music just comes. Yeah, the um, melody comes. Yeah, it just he'll. I usually will have like some idea of mm-hmm. a melody that kind of feels like it just came out of me. Um, and we'll kind of, we'll start there and then see where it takes us. And and has this process, as you've got older and all these emotions and these different experiences, has the, has the writing process got any easier? It's just much richer. Right. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the ease comes when I just move out of my own way mm. and like let it flow through me. I, there's such a deep connection. Uh, I, I've always had it with singing. Like I'm, I walk on stage and open my mouth and it's like something comes through me that is, it just kind of, it's like just otherworldly. And it's, it meets from here to here. Mm. It's like my heart, my throat, my mm. my whole soul like just comes out of me. And um, as a songwriter, I think now I, I write from that same place and you just kind of move out of your own way and connect with something greater than you and see what happens. You can see that when you're, when you go on stage. I mean, it just, it looks the most natural place for you. Yeah, it is. I say it's like breathing because it is, Mm. it really is. You know, when you you sometimes see people and you think they are now performing, you know, this is now with with, with you, because I, I kind of had, did that, you know, that whole internet thing where you go down a rabbit hole of just, all I did was look at Leanne Ryan's (laughs) videos for about three days and kind of feel like I've, I've made a documentary almost because I've seen, you know, the changes mm-hmm. that happen and how you perform. And it does feel like you've just, as you said, you just open up and not mm-hmm. just your mouth, but you open up everything. Yeah, it is. Think. You become, I mean, I think I live my life that way. You know, you talk about the writing process. I've become this very like porous, like being that walks around and kind of feels and experiences so much of life um, in other people. And like, I'm, without even realizing and I'm constantly just taking in what mm. people are saying or a word will stand out to me and I'll be like, oh, that's a cool word. Like it's just, I'm just an open vessel. 
Mm. Um, and yeah, when I walk on stage, my my friend Daryl is like, you just don't lie when you sing. Like you can't lie. Mm. Um, and I think that must be what it is. And the other thing that's interesting, and we you just talked about it before, about how you've kind of grown into your face almost in the sense mm-hmm. that you you know you look younger than you did when you were about twenty, is your image as well because that looks like it's. I mean, you've got a you know your clothes, the way you wear your hair, everything just feels so much more you now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've grown into, I mean, that was my mom back in the day. <laughs> big, big Texas <laughs> hair. How much hairspray can we put on you? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. used to, I know this word's thrown around a lot, but I am very authentic to mm. who I am and um, everything has to be comfortable. Like I usually walk out on stage barefoot. Um, I don't wear heels anymore. I don't know how I used to walk in six inch heels. I'm surprised I did not break a leg or a neck. Like after COVID, I went through my closet of shoes and I'm like, I have to get rid of 90% of these shoes. So now I'm sneakers and low heeled boots. I'm just like, I'm grandma and I'm totally okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> you still look pretty Yeah, hot. thank you. I think you, you look pretty hot. You look pretty I hot. can work around it. <laughs> but uh, you just look more, everything's just more, at ease. When I say comfortable though that doesn't that implies kind of elasticated waists and stuff yeah. it's not it's just an ease with what how, yeah. how much of that is uh, I mean you say it's authentic do you work with people to kind of get together for a show and uh, you know because you're coming up obviously yeah uh, next year you'll be doing a big show in yeah. the UK will there be a big wardrobe uh, session that no kind of I'm such that? a one outfit type of <laughs> woman uh, no I'm it's funny I, you know we in the states we do acoustic tours where it's just me and a guitar mm. like I love where people love to add more and more. It's like, how much can I strip back? Um, I kind of like to go the opposite direction. Mm. I always have. Um, (laughs) And I have, I've done big tours and it's just my favorite thing is to be able to just be intimate with people Mm. and, you know, have that connection and it'd be about the music and my voice and not about like what's all going on around me. Mm. I was joking today. I was like, I want all the attention on me, but it's <laughs> but it's kind of true. It's like that's what people are there you don't to see. Fancy lights. Yeah, no, that's what people are there to see. They're there to experience mm. me. And I don't I don't like taking away from that. Like mm. I want to give them me. More of you. Yeah. Which is again about confidence and an ability to do that is yeah. is from a place where you feel comfortable. Doing yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing I can help noticing is how fit you are. Oh, thanks. I mean, you know, there's one there's one uh, video I watched where you were sat on stage and you had quite a short dress on, and you know, God, you've got great legs. Thank you. And, uh, so what goes? How does that happen? What do you do? I work out a lot when I'm home. I'm I'm in the gym like probably three days three days a week, and then I play tennis two days a week, and I'm just active. Are you and Eddie? Do you train? Together, yeah, we do. Yeah. We we didn't. We mm. used to not. But during during COVID, we were like by ourselves, and we're like, well, why are we doing two workouts? We we got we have one trainer that works both of us out at the same time, and um and then we play tennis together. So um yeah, it's just super active. We took up tennis during during the whole pandemic because I just needed to be outside. Mm. And our oldest had taken up tennis, and I'm like, you know what? I used to play a little bit when I was a kid. I want to do it. And um, I just love it. I'm obsessed. Do you, do you have competitions? Do you, do you... I have not. Like, no, I haven't played no. in any, like, any You could smash it on the over 40 I would love circuit it though, Right? <laughs> totally. I, mean, I don't know. Some of those women are super serious. Like, super serious. But I would, I would love to play. Um, I know that they have a celebrity event um, uh, in Palm Springs at one of the big uh, tournaments there. Well, and that next, wouldn't be awful, would no, it? No, <laughs> I think it's next March. And I'm, I've literally blocked out dates because they asked me to play last year and I'm like, I couldn't make it. So I'm totally playing this year. Does this now mean that you watch tennis tournaments? Are you I do. More into it? Yeah, yeah, I'm way into it. Yeah. Have you been to Wimbledon? I have not yet. Come on. I know, but I have to go. Yes. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge Alcaraz fan. Like, I oh, just, yeah. he's so good. I saw his quarterfinal last year. He's so adorable. Yeah, so good. People yeah. love him in the 
his dice, don't they? They do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, he's insane. Like the way yeah. he slides across the court. He's yeah. just yeah. So the athletic. way he made Djokovic smash his racket up. I mean, <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's so good. So tennis is your kind of uh, hobby, big hobby passion yeah. that you say. Is, yeah, is, for and, sure. And that you've discovered only in the last few years, which yeah. Is, Great. I love it. And you can do it together with your I think if you train with your partner, I mm-hmm. think it's I think it's quite a, a lovely dynamic. It is, yeah. And no, we're we're both we're both very competitive. Like he well, my husband grew up, he played um he played football for UCLA and like he uh, our football yeah well no actual your like, football yeah, hand, football. hand okay. throwing football okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, he played for UCLA um, and he's always like he's so good he can pick up anything and just do it and so um, and I played I played softball growing up and I've just always been super athletic you're a sporty family yeah I love it we are very much our kids are not like our <laughs> oldest played tennis for like two years and he's like eh, never mind so kids are not but um, yeah we love we love getting out there together but it's uh, it, I my my I used to be so competitive like I could not play the game unless I could win. <laughs> and I've, that's literally that's come down a notch for sure. So it's great cuz with tennis I feel like I want to win but I don't have to win. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually been really good for me mentally, especially like the to Zen let of go. Tennis. Yeah, to let go of some of my perfectionism mm-hmm. and to actually like let myself be mm-hmm. bad at something at the beginning and to learn how to just like let go of that perfectionist tendency. I, I, I recognize this. So good. That, yeah. Golf, you talked about golf earlier. Golf, yeah. on the other hand, I just want to throw the clubs. Yeah, but that is, you know, <laughs> that is so humbling. Golf it is, is so humbling. Beyond humbling. <laughs> You're maybe towards 50, you yeah. might find that you're yeah. ready to be humble maybe. truly. <laughs> truly, truly humble. Yes. Uh, and in terms of the things you do together, you and Eddie, I noticed on your TikTok, he he comes to a lot of your shows, obviously, mm. and there's some lovely videos of you together backstage. You know, you can just see the yeah. relationship is is beautiful. Does he enjoy kind of that whole part of your the circus of your life? Yeah. Um, or does he, he see fits it in right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I think everybody sees it as somewhat of a circus. I see it as a circus, um, but I think he fits in. Like he just he's just super chill about it all. Um, he comes out with me when he's not working or when we haven't. You don't have the kids and. We we have an RV, which we love to like go out and we have like a, this side by side, which is like a little like a racing buggy kind right. of thing. So we'll go out in the desert and race that around. That's his passion. And I love to come along for the ride, literally. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll go out and, and just be in nature. We love to be in nature together. Does he have opinions about music? Does he tell you when he thinks that you know, yeah. the song's working? Yeah, he'll he'll definitely give me his opinion on things. Usually, yeah, I don't think there's really been anything when he's like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. Not yet. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And in terms of maintaining the place you're in and what you've done, worked on yourself Mm -hmm. and the the period that you took yourself away, do you have any practices now that you find are helpful? Do you like cold water swimming, for example? Oh, God, I hate cold water. (laughs) But I do put my hands in ice sometimes before. If I'm really tired, before I go on stage, I'll put my hands in ice. Top tip, listeners. Yeah, seriously. If you want to wake up, that dopamine rush, like it'll give you a good hit for about 20 minutes. Um, Yeah, no, I... I did the ice bath once. Oh my God, that's so painful. Uh, but now I do my hands and feet like when I'm really tired. Breath work is a big thing for me. I, st- I found that a couple of years after 30, so like around 32. And that started really kind of like opening me up to just deeper parts of myself. And I still I still do therapy. but Talking therapy. Yeah, um, I work with a guy named Dr. Amen, who's absolutely amazing. So we do... We do a lot of reprogramming, reprogramming the mind, which Mm. is super helpful. And yeah, I mean, I find I used to be one of those people that would read like every self-help book. And it was always like, how can I better myself? Mm -hmm. And I've come to a point now where 
like meditation is a part of my life. Breathwork is part of my life. Everything's a part of my life, but mm. it doesn't run my life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of fluid in all my practices, but there's always something that kind of allows me to stay grounded um, that helps me to do stress and just kind of, yeah. One of the biggest things that is a practice of mine now is just bringing myself back to the present. It's so simple, but it's, you know, going through my day and recognizing like little moments of joy. Mm-hmm. Joy has been a big thing. I don't think like I've- Tidying the sock drawer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not that so much. Um, but no, like if I, you know, like if I had a great lunch, like just really like taking note of that or taking note of the trees that I love so much or the butterfly that flew by me. Like, mm. cause you know, sometimes we can, for me, I've I've dealt with depression for many years of my life and I can kind of have this bit of a black cloud hanging over my mm. head. And when I started to kind of focus a little more on those micro moments of joy, it's I'd get to the end of the day and go, oh, I might've felt crappy, but it wasn't a bad day. Mm. Um, so I could start to separate those things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just such a simple practice that I do that just, just recognizing like little moments throughout the day that make me smile. Javino, thank you so much for coming on The Midpoint. Obviously, we couldn't manage to get you and Leanne Rhymes together uh, on the same day, but I, I really appreciate your time. And, and I've got you all my, to myself now, which is great, because having taken a deep dive into all of your socials, and in fact, I kind of first came across you, I think about six, eight months ago, and I just was smiling, looking at all of your videos and your um, brilliant posts. And then the producer of this podcast brought your name up. I was like, yes, I know this guy. He's incredible. So I read all of about you and I, I just think you're brilliant at what you do and oh, um, it's it's so inspiring to see how you you help people really get a passion for exercise because that's something that I think our community as well sometimes struggles with yeah definitely exercise is the greatest thing Gabby coming from a, a sporting background I just I just believe that everyone deserves the opportunity to to smile and be be happy through exercise and health and I just try my best to do that every day, Gabs. You do. You say people come to you and you have people with all kinds of disabilities, uh, physical and mental, and you also help loads of old people as well. In fact, I love the story of Brenda, your first ever client, if you like, from the older community. And they come to you and they say, whether they say it literally or metaphorically, here's my life, can you make it better? And it is that deep, Gabby. It's it's not your typical uh, PT <laughs> client relationship. These are people who... Uh, they've been through some issues man it's not uh, it gets me emotional when I talk about some of the stuff that they've been through because I just think not not many humans have been through mm. some of the terminal cancers terminal illnesses it can be a lonely place as you get like this world it's a, it's a dark lonely place at the moment and exercise is that light if you can make somebody smile through exercise or sport it's the greatest gift man and I think I've never charged a penny Gabby I've done it for 22 years I've never charged a penny I've done it for free just to see the happiness that filters through to someone's family is the most amazing thing. You brought it up. So can we talk about your pricing model? Because you give your one-on-one time to people with disability for free and the older people. How do you make J7 work then? It's an open facility, open for the community. So the community come and use the facility as a regular gym or members. But the section that is uh, disabled and uh, the disability and the elderly, they, they get everything for free. 
doing what I do. I just try and pour my heart out every single day. And I've, when I first started this, I wanted to try and show people and teach people. And I've got a small team there at my gym that I've taught, like a blueprint, and they're doing fantastic. They're amazing young trainers. But there's a level of passion required here where the goal isn't financial. My goal is to protect your heart and just give you the greatest experience ever. But J7's only been open for seven years. I've been Before I had my own facility, I worked for Manchester City Council, where I did uh, similar stuff to what I'm doing now. So it's been a long 22 years, Gabby. That's why I've got a few wrinkles. <laughs> You're looking great. And you do all that as well as being a pretty impressive powerlifter as well, European powerlifting champion. So you've got your own training going on and then you're doing all of this with, with people with all kinds of different needs. And I love the way as well you, you kind of invent equipment for them, don't you? Because people who've maybe got cerebral palsy who can't walk and people who've not been out of a chair for a long time, whatever their challenge is for you, you find a way to give them strength. Yeah, and you know, the re- reason why I do it the way I do, Gabby, is because the most important thing in this world, I think, is just normality. Being included. You know how powerful it is, Gabs, to just be seen and noticed? And I could easily go out, Gabby, and buy all this specialist equipment to lift people up. Mm. That ain't very human. I'm not treating you like... I don't want to treat you like a, like a piece of apparatus. So do you know how powerful it is when I'm phys- I have to physically hold you, I have to physically touch you, a couple of days ago, a situation happened with one of my young girls uh, with cancer, recovering from cancer. I give her a hug and she refused to let me go, Gabby, because she doesn't receive that a lot. Ap- apart from my mother and her dad and the people at home, when she goes to certain physios, they're not allowed to touch. A lot of care homes, they're not physically allowed to touch. Mm. I'm a hugger. I'm a hugger. I want to show you that I love it's you. It's kind of part of the deal in J7, I think. You've got to have a Javino hug, otherwise, you know... You- <laughs> It's not going to work for you. I think it's that, not. Yeah, and I think that shows your your passion for each person. That's the other thing that came across. Each person that comes in is, as you say, is a human, not a case, not a subject, not even a client. They're somebody that you want to get to know about their life. And I get the feeling a lot of people that come in have not found those people in their lives because of the challenges they've had. It's sad. Nobody on this planet should feel lonely. Nobody on this planet should feel like they're not worthy. And whether you're able-bodied or disabled, you've got a place on this planet and you deserve to be happy. You deserve the same opportunities as everybody else. If I, if you come across me, I'm not going to budge, Gabby. The way I've been, I've been like this since I was 16. If I see injustice, if I see people getting treated in a way that is unfair, I have to intervene. And I just believe that this is my gift. I believe that, obviously, you're a sporting lady. I'm a big fan of you. My dad's buzzing that I'm talking to you, by the way. But... Uh, Michael Jordan's gift on the basketball court, you know what that is. Wayne Rudy, Michael. How many times did George Best or Paul Gascoigne turn up to training and they're not really in the right state of mind but put them on the pitch and they can deliver? Mm. I believe that this is my gift. I can do this better than... I can do this easy. I find it easy to inspire people. I find it easy to make people fall in love with exercise and I just believe that if I've got this gift without being big-headed, I have to show it to the world and I have to keep on going. Well, you're reaching far corners of the world, aren't you? You I'm get trying, messages yeah. from everywhere. You've been on American TV and your your videos, your TikTok, everything's going kind of, you know, it's growing and growing and growing and hopefully inspiring other people because my kind of first thoughts was, oh, this is happening in northern Manchester. This should be happening everywhere. You know, there should be uh, gyms like this where people feel really included. One of the things you said was you hate conventional gyms because even you, with your background in professional sport, you're a cricketer and your powerlifting, you can feel intimidated in them. So you kind of thought, well, how did you, I love the question, you said, how do you think your mum or your auntie might feel in them? And that's so true. So your gym is not a conventional gym, but there are people who are 
doing serious training in there, you know, if you, if you like, alongside, which I think is also super inspiring for those people. Of course, isn't it? And they, they, everyone can get inspiration. If everybody have the able-bodied people who get a crazy amount of inspiration off the disabled guys and vice versa, and it's it's beautiful to watch, Gabby. And one thing, what you said before, that just made me smile. There's thousands of disabled people around the world, Gabby. You, my little daft videos. It's not inspiration that just makes them smile. I've, every single day of my life, I get videos from people around the world who have replicated the videos that they've seen and they're, they're physically getting up out of the wheelchairs. Mm. This morning, I had somebody from Venezuela who sent me a video of uh, one of my young girls called Amy. I did a drill with her where she's got cerebral palsy. I took her out of a chair and she's just rolling towards me. And this young person in Venezuela recorded herself doing the same drill. And it just makes my heart so proud that people are not just getting inspiration and happiness from it. Disabled people around the world are actually physically trying to do better. And I think there's nothing more powerful. That's amazing. And Amy, I love, I think it was Amy who said that you see what she can do, not what Mm. she can't do. Yeah. Which I think is, that's such a positive reframing isn't it for a lot of people because I think at this stage of life that this podcast speaks to people they often start thinking about oh I can't do that anymore I can't do that anymore and exercise might have slipped out of their lives and I think it's maybe it's important to look at what you can still do and do more of that we know you've got to do more exercise in midlife not less so I think if people want inspiration and they're wondering how they're going to put one foot in front of the other they only need to watch a few of your videos I think before they could get themselves going but uh, what would you uh, you you managed to get old really like much older people moving in their 70s and 80s so uh, how would you get a 50 year old who's lost their way a bit with exercise how would you get them going again get their mojo easy (laughs) <laughs> you know what, Gabby? It's not about exercise. It's about disguise. If you really think about it, I don't need to tell you what I'm doing. All I need to do is make you smile and disguise you into exercising. And that's what I try and do with my youngers and my olders, where if I get you laughing, I'm going to put on a little bit of Elvis, some little Motown, get you dancing, get you just just enjoying our company. Let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about EastEnders. And guess what? While we're talking... I can slide the exercise in and without you knowing you're exercising. That's the way I've always done it. And it's it takes a lot of effort, I'm not going to lie. But once you get somebody exercising without them, they don't even know Gabby. They're just having fun. And then you say to them, do you know that you've just actually done 20 squats? <laughs> and they're shocked with it. And that's what I've, So for anybody older that's lost the way, exercise can be a very scary word. The gym can be a very scary place. So all I try to do is I don't put exercise and gym in front of your face. I put love, attention, laughter. I try and smother the person with love, attention, laughter. Mm. And when they're not even looking, Gabby, I slice <laughs> exercising. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, it is that feeling that, oh, well, if I'm not doing a triathlon, then I'm not exercising. But, you know, as you say, putting 20 minutes of kind of upbeat music on and just and just starting to dance and kind of get your body going again, it's confidence, isn't it? Because people feel disconnected from their bodies, don't they? When they've maybe had sedentary lives you know working in offices or feeling that they you know they look at themselves in the mirror and think that's not you know what am I going to do that's not I've lost my way yeah and it's about education as well Gabs I think exactly what you said then people just haven't got the education people haven't got the knowledge people think exercise is a one size fits all it's not there's a million different things you can do there's a million different ways you can work out you can do more than you think as well and and the power of the mind and you know just those little incremental things 
you can see on the faces of people that you help when they get out the chair and you make them do something that the beaming smile it's not just the hour they're in the gym with you they go away feeling more empowered as well yeah. about themselves it, it makes the week better it, it's about belief Gabby once once somebody knows that you believe in it it's the greatest gift when somebody kind of goes you know what this man believes in me this man is uh, is not afraid to push my boundaries and take me out of my comfort zone and I'm doing it out of love I'm not doing it out of uh, ego like a lot of PTs will do things out of ego and I don't really like the industry Gabby I, I, you'll never see me with my top off you'll never see me trying to flex my muscles I'm not into, I'm not trying to sell sex I'm trying to sell something else I'm trying to sell like real inspiration and I think it's all about just filling people with belief confidence and once you do that Gabby they will go to war I could take I could say we're going to go fight Mike Tyson and Tyson Fury <laughs> they, will, they will come with me and that's where a lot of the effort is, is just making sure that people know that I really believe in you and I wouldn't ask you to do this drill if I didn't think you could actually do it. And once you achieve it, it's the most amazing thing. Does it take a lot out of you or does it give you energy? It's uh, both, Gabby. It, it, it's draining, but I wouldn't change it for the world because I know the benefit that they get from it mm. and I know how powerful it is. Do you have to turn people away with the increased popularity of Jason? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying. I've got a problem at the moment, Gabby, where I don't, I don't say no to anybody and right now we're so busy. But I try my best not to say not like yesterday alone I trained seventeen people. Oh my god. But that's wow. on most days. Wow. Most days gotta be it's over over twelve people. And yesterday I trained seventeen people for free. I just believe that if you want me, I'm I'm gonna try and fit you in as much as I can. Look, half an hour, 40, 40 minute sessions. I'll try my best to get you in because I know people travel from all over, Gabby, from Birmingham, from London, from Ireland. People come from America and Australia and that little 30 minutes with me and I'm thinking, originally it made me feel a bit uncomfortable that you're travelling all that way for me. But then my brother sat me down and said, God forbid if anything was to happen to any of my two sons, would I travel to London for 30 minute sessions if it made my son smile or forget for half an hour? I said, you're damn right, 100%. And he said, exactly. So since then, I, I don't say no to anybody. Well, what you're doing is amazing. And I recommend that um, people, if they can, would have a look at your social media. And uh, I think they too would be very inspired by how you how you treat people, actually. That's a lesson, I think, for, for everybody, whether or not you're interested in PT or exercise, how you how you give you know people your humanity and, and your ability to make people believe that they can go that, that extra mile is is powerful um and i i love brenda she said um who was your first ever old lady who turned up she said i keep his feet on the ground and one clip i watched she said i, I keep him grounded <laughs> she's famous that lady she's, she's not your regular old lady she's seven i always get her age wrong gabby she's 77 i think she doesn't do the oap class with the with the older lady she does kettlebells she does circuit she does pump she's she, she was in this morning they've been boxing this woman is unbelievable. She's the first person that believed in me when I first started doing this. The first five months, it was me and Brenda, nobody wow. else set up. And she just believed in me so much and she enjoyed what my little weird way of delivering. She passed it on to somebody else and then somebody else. And before you know it, it was crazy. Well, really, really impressed by everything you do. And it's really great to chat to you. So thank you so much for your time. I'll let you go on. And I'm sure now, right now, there's a queue out the door. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Gabby. Thank you. This 
Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We, we discussed the child star phenomenon, how so often it, it goes wrong mm-hmm. and, and it's a difficult transition moving from child to adulthood and taking your talent with you. And, and obviously a kind of contemporary of yours who's had real public problems and issues that have come out, Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Um, did you kind of look at things that were going on with her when you've been through your process and think, I know what you need to do. I know I could help you here. Did you feel, or did you see similarities? With oh, things? I see definitely see similarities and everybody, everybody's situation is so different, mm. but oh my God, do I ever see similarities? Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think if you're a child star, there's, there's always going to be some similarities there. I saw a, something of her on TV the other day and I just literally said, poor girl. And it was like, you know, it's poor woman, but people like this doc- documentary being made about her, she has nothing to do with people making money off of her mm. and, and her trauma. And it's like, People are sick. Mm. I look at it and think that this world is really sick. Like we drive people, we forget about their humanity mm. and we drive people into harming themselves and going down, you know, into the addiction of drugs and alcohol and everything else in between. And we wonder why, <laughs> you know, it's like, talk about not being loving. You know, we, these stars that we look up to and love we say we love them, but we treat them the complete opposite. You know, it's it's just what this the world of celebrity is very strange. Mm. It really is. Does that mean that now, the in the space that you're in, you dip in when you need to? to yeah, I do. I really, <laughs> I don't even consider myself a part of the music business anymore. Although I know I am. Um, I have a healthy relationship with it. I do what I want to when I want to do it. I put out the music that I want to. It's all by me. Mm. Um, and so I, I don't really have to answer to anybody at the end of the day, which is great. Um, you know, do I have like crazy commercial success at this moment? Probably not, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing the music that I love. I mean, it's not really about that anymore. What like, about competitively, Anne? You were talking about a moment ago. Does, uh, no, I don't, does she want, not want more Grammys? No, yeah, I mean, it would be great, but I want the Grammys for the thing that I really love doing. I don't want the Grammy because... I recorded the song that I know will get the Grammy. Right. You know, there's a big difference. Mm. And so I've done that before. And to be honest, like some of those songs that I recorded for other people, I don't even sing anymore. So yeah, I want, if if that's going to come, I want it to be because of something that I love doing. It sounds like the adulation doesn't matter. No, I don't need, I don't need the like number success. What success to me is like moving, is moving people and helping people through something and, you know, creating music that speaks to people's hearts and that helps them feel something that they don't normally feel like that success to me. And that's what I shoot for and whatever comes along with that. Great. But I almost feel like people's therapist sometimes (laughs) (laughs) I am. I feel like, you know, I do feel like I help if I, if you ask me what I do now, it's like, yeah, I sing, but I help people feel. And that to me is more important than anything. 
And collaborations have always been a big thing. Mm. You, you've collaborated with some some of the, the all-time greats. Yeah. Um, is there anybody kind of left or anybody who's just emerged in the last few years that you think, yeah, I could do something pretty yeah, special with Yeah, I would love to do something with Florence Welch. I love her so much. Mm, and we share yeah. the same birthday. So really? I think, yeah, I'm like, I think we would get along really well. So If I need kind of cheering up sometimes, I just put on her Glastonbury. Oh, and so just go, good. Her yeah. last album was so good. Like, I love that she writes about anxiety and depression. Yeah. And yeah. like, <laughs> I'm like, I feel you. So um, does she know that this is on the horizon? No, she doesn't. But she's going to because yeah. I've talked about it in pretty much every interview. So if something doesn't get to her, <laughs> it better. Uh, and what about how somebody like Taylor Swift is handling her mm -hmm. career right now? Because she's, in terms of you know being out there and the huge tours and the yeah. big commercial success. Yeah, absolutely. Are you in a place where you don't feel any kind of sense of? Oh, I could be doing that right now. I could be doing a tour. No, no. I, good for her. Better her than me. Like I just, yeah, that kind of, I've been there and it's just absolutely insane. I do enjoy kind of the balance of, of success and life and mm. it not like, I, I just, if I couldn't walk and I, I used to not be able to do this at all. If I couldn't mm. walk out my door without 50 paparazzi up front, there was a time when that was when that was like that, and it was which oh, must talk about anxiety. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. yeah, no, thank you. No, so Have fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I mean, for and for a while, I'm sure it is, and then yeah, I mean, for a while, it's great, but uh, yeah, I think there has to there has to be some kind of balance. And there's some people who are just cut out for that mm. and good on them. I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Tried it. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you looking forward to? Oh, well, I am looking forward. I am looking forward to coming back over here performing. The O2 is going to be our biggest show that we've ever done over here. So it's going to be insane. And you've never done? I've never, I've played the O2 for C2C um, right. the very first year, but I've never headlined myself. So I'm super excited. And um, I don't know, I'm just looking forward to creating. That's kind of what my life's been about. I'm, I did a chant record in 2020, which mm. was completely like, new and different and I loved it so much um, we just did this gorgeous candlelight service in Los Angeles with thousands of candles mm. at this beautiful church and performed the chant album which is the first time I've ever done that and so I'm so excited to do more of those and I'm working on chant 2 which is almost done so that'll be out next year yeah I'm sure I'll start a new record soon but yeah I'm just I don't know I'm in a pretty good place Enjoying my days. And do the are they called rhymers? Your fans or I don't know. Rhymers. I like that. Rhymers. rhymers. Uh, the, <laughs> I like it. Do the rhymers like your diversity in that yeah. aspect? Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. so. I you know I used to get my hand slapped for that a lot mm. when I was younger because people want to put you in a box. Yeah, they do. I mean, yeah. They do. And you know, with country music, it, that line used to be very drawn, and now mm. it's very blurred. And mm. so I think. I think people caught on to what I was doing and now it's accepted. But yeah, you never know what you're going to get, but um, hopefully it's always good. And, you know, I think, yeah, my fans have always followed me wherever I go and we've grown together. I mean, mm -hmm. so many people have grown up with me and so interesting to see like people talk about how they grew up with me and then they kind of grew apart from me and now we're on the same journey again together. Mm. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool to have people like grow up with you for 30 yeah. years, you know. So when you are headlining the O2 mm. in 2024, will the rhymers look like you or do they kind of like, are they all Every, different ages? All different, different ages, yeah. all different yeah. walks of life. I think that's what's been so interesting about my, my audience is they're just, it's kind of all over the place. Very diverse. Yeah, very, very diverse. 
And you're very, I mean, I watched this beautiful concert you did with the Los Angeles Gay yes, Men's Choir. Yeah. Oh, that was, and you were very moved, obviously, oh, because so, yeah. you had a relative. I did. My uncle was gay and passed away from AIDS when I was 11. And I've always wanted to just give him a voice that he didn't have. So I've been a huge supporter of, of the LGBTQ community for a long time. And they write back at They you as well. love me and I love <laughs> them so much. So much. Uh, yeah. And that, that also, I think, is really interesting because, you know, you can be this kind of singing country music which often has a Christian kind of mm. bent to it. And then you have this, you know, pop career and then you have the chanting yeah. and then you've got the LGBTQ plus community who absolutely yeah. adore you. So um, I am one of those people that is very open-minded mm. and I, I've always been able to see like so many different views of the world and have been traveled the world my whole life. And, you know, we might not agree, but it doesn't mean like mm. you're any less than I am or I don't mm. like you or we can't get along. Mm. Like, mm. I, I find that when I go on social media and um, I realize how many people are not like that in this world, <laughs> I'll like I'll go on and post or say something on someone's uh, someone's post that I, I don't even agree with necessarily what they're saying, but they might say something like the other day it was my embryolic actually went on. Um, she was talking about, of course, the war that's going on right now and. She said, I'm no longer afraid. And I just put, I'm no longer afraid. That's so powerful. Mm. And uh, so I started people coming at me going, oh, you know, you're, are you against Palestine? Like this whole thing. And I'm like, you have no idea what I, my, my opinions on this. You're mm. just all of a sudden assuming something. Mm. And I realize how many people are like, you have to be, it's That's so black and white. Binary. You have so to. black and white. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not black and white mm. like, at all. I mm. can listen to someone and completely love them and not agree with them. And that's mm. okay. Mm. But that's not the way the world no. works at this moment. It's certainly time. not the way that that kind of tip of the iceberg on social media yes, works. Yes, absolutely and the very not. very noisy social media. Yeah. And, and I think though, that's why you, that's why you see like me exploring all these different, mm. you know, different musical genres and why my crowd is so diverse and why I can kind of move in and out of different worlds. You know, I can be over here in a gay club and then I can go to the Country Music Awards. Like I, I can do all of that because mm. I'm just, I'm just open to it. And has your faith remained the same through through that journey? Um, uh, My spirituality? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm very spiritual. I think that's constantly evolving and changing. I grew up Baptist, Southern Baptist, and very much ran away from that, the opposite direction. And then um, I think God's work in this last album is kind of my way of questioning organized religion and how I grew up and questioning the big questions of life and kind of this idea of like, are all these religions like getting in the way of us being actual servants of love in this world? And how can we all stop with the doctrine and like move out of the way, mm. become better people? Mm. And we're all saying the same thing <laughs> at the end of the day. So I think for me, that's where I'm at. I you know I know it sounds kind of trite, but it's like love is my religion. It really is. It's like I, like I go back to how can I be more loving to myself and others? Mm. And that's what guides my life. So yeah, I'm not, I've never been one for organized religion, the more power to people that are. Um, but yeah, it's more about how can I connect with something bigger than me and yeah, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you because Thank I you. think it's really apparent that a lot of our midpoint listeners will recognise that that evolution and that finding out more about yourself, which often happens a little bit later for you, yeah, it all happened a bit earlier. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> but, but at the beginning of your forties, certainly puts you in a, a great place. Oh my god, to it's grow. the best place to be in my forties. It really is. I think I read that you said turning forty that you just thought I'm not going to give. I think there was expletive, expletive. <laughs> yes, I think, I think the word was. might have been a shit. Anymore. Yes, it was. I mean, it's. I just. I think it maybe have started maybe around thirty eight where I started. 
I always say I live my life from the inside out instead of the outside in. And it's true. Like I, you know, what makes me happy, what lights me up, invite people into that space instead of worrying about what it looks like to other people or what they want from me. Um, I mean, that's just crazy making. So Mm. I think at 40, that just started to solidify even more. And I do have such a vast amount of knowledge and wisdom because I started so young and Mm. grew up really fast. Um, And then it's, I think life's become a little more fun even now than it was when I was younger. Like I would would never go back, please. (laughs) I I just love, like, I love aging I, I love the wisdom that comes along with it. I wouldn't trade it for youth any any day of the week. Well, it's certainly coming out in your music Thanks. and the poetry that is Thank there. Thank you. I was thinking, oh, because you, you haven't written all this down anywhere in a in book form, mm-hmm. obviously. It comes out in your lyrics, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Because I was when I was researching you, being a writer, I was thinking, but there's no book. There's no book. And then I was like, Not no, yet. because she actually writes it in her music. Yeah. That's what she does. Not so, yet. But I, it's funny because um, I have been asked to write a book many, many times. And I started the other day to like start to pinpoint like stories as they pop into my mind, just on my notes. And uh, I that's when I looked at my life and I went, oh my God, I can't believe I'm alive. <laughs> like I really can't believe I'm alive. Yeah, I think there's an, a really brilliant memoir. It'll be there eventually. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, there are. I feel like if my life, there would need to be like book one and book two. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm well, not done. Mine uh, last year, I called the first half. Oh, there you so, go. Yeah. So oh, there, perfect. Yeah. Yes. So I love know. it. I love it. See, <laughs> I might have to follow in your footsteps. Yeah. Uh, Leanne Rhymes, it has been an absolute pleasure having thank you. you on the midpoint. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, you've been brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank course. you so much. And best of luck with everything that's to come. Thank and you. we can't wait to see you next year at the O2. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> What a pleasure to meet Leanne and huge thanks to her for being so open and honest about her remarkable journey to this point. Remember, tickets are on sale now for her very special one-night-only show at the London O2 on 8th of May 2024. It's going to be the first time she's performed on UK soil in six years. Thank you to the hugely inspiring Javino McLean as well for sharing his enthusiasm with us and for continuing to champion the power of exercise. A big thanks to Spiritland Creative and, as ever, to you for joining me. I'll catch you next Wednesday for more musings on midlife. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.